You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome to Webcology here on WebmasterRadio.fm. It is the 31st of March, the last day of March 2016. I'm joined by Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. Dave, how you doing today, brother? I am doing fantastic. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, just so the listeners are aware, we're having a little bit of technical difficulty, but I think it's going to be okay. Jimmy, before today. you start, it's only on your end. Nobody on the air can hear anything. Except oh, you guys doing the normal us. show. They can hear us messing up because we don't hear our cues. That's what they can hear. No, they hear a little extra music, but they can't really tell. Oh, okay. Breaking the fourth <laughs> wall. You know, you want to break the fourth wall? You know, that's, can you like use a smaller sledgehammer, please? Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I'm tapping away at the fourth wall with this little jeweler's hammer to tell you guys... But you probably won't even notice it. If you sound stumbly, that's the reason. It's been a great week in search this week. A lot of neat stuff has happened. I'm uh, not even sure where to begin. Um, and you know where we ought to begin, Dave? Where's that? Well, I think we should go back to last weekend and, and also earlier this week on, on the Webmaster Radio Network. Um, last week we had Jennifer Slag and uh, David Harry on to talk about RankPoint. Um, David Harry was also on... Uh, Ross, Ross Dunn and John Haircut's show, SEO 101, earlier this week on the network. And uh, today, Eric Enga uh, released a, uh, an article, Rape Brain Myth Busted. So I think, you know, we ought to step back into Rank Brain for a couple of seconds, just as a kind of a follow-up on last week's show and also on the uh, show that John and Ross did uh, earlier this week. And, and to touch on... Um, on the piece that Eric that uh, Eric published, um, listeners might remember we had Eric Eric Enga on what three four weeks ago. Yeah. Um, to talk about you know artificial intelligence, machine learning, and how that's affecting search. Then Rank Brain came up the uh, 
industry went wild. Yeah, we have dozens of rank brain experts out there, apparently. <laughs> what do you think, Dave? Well, to me, the most interesting thing, we've kind of touched on this in the past about rank brain, isn't so much what it is. Like, I, I found it interesting because we're all experts at it. But when it was announced uh, in the fall of this year, Google's announcement was, hey, we started doing this last spring. Right? So, so that was interesting, right? I mean, here was this major thing affecting a, a third of queries. None of us kind of knew it happened until they told us. Right, so that was interesting. I remember my blog post was it's a big thing last spring. Right, <laughs> it, it, it didn't really impact so much um, because of its function. Right, like well, you know it, I know it. Most of our listeners who are regular listeners know it. Um, is it? It's built to affect queries Google's never seen before. So it's probably not big on your radar of, of queries that you're tracking. You probably don't have ranking reports for it from before. Otherwise, Google would have that query in their index already. But um, what's really, really neat to me about it, I think you too, and why it's so important right now, um, it is what it's going to mean for the future of search in general. Like, yes, they're using AI to determine what you actually mean by queries, um, you know, and, and trying to extrapolate a little more information. That's its core function. It, it, from the semantic side of things, what happens when that starts getting rolled into the general um, search algorithm? And I think to me, that's the big thing. And that's why this is like, I'm, I'm eating up anything that's, that's coming out on the subject. Well, I, I can hear from, from the tone of your voice and also just the words you chose, especially, especially your last sentence that, you're not entirely satisfied with what you've learned about RankBrain so far. There's still more questions than there have been answers. And one of the things that, that really bothers me about this kind of, uh, this kind of conversation, and it's, there's, there's not a lot we can do about it, but when Google comes out and says this is going to affect a third of the queries, but it doesn't directly affect the algorithm, it just sort of affects how the algorithm might look at a query. And then everyone says, well, this doesn't really have a huge effect on organic search. But in fact, I believe it does. And, and I, I, I think the way it affects organic search is uh, more subtle and a little harder to explain. But I said the same thing about Mobile Geddon around this time last year. Remember how we, you know, Mobile Geddon didn't seem to have a massive impact. And then a few months later, we learned from Google that it actually had a much wider impact than uh, they previously said it, suggested it did. Yep. Well, I think it's the same thing with Rank Brain because Google. Google is all about collecting data, and that data is, is you know, used cumulatively in that, you know, they collect data from uh, April, May, June, July, and, well, July's data doesn't have a lot of effect on April because it simply hasn't been uh, gathered yet. April's data has a huge effect on the data collected in July because mm -hmm. Google store and is running all of its assumptions through this new set of data, sets of data, and then comes to, well, what I guess I can only phrase as much wider and um, more precise conclusions. So I think it has to affect, I think it has to have a much greater effect than we're, than we're currently thinking or estimating. Well, I think you're right. I mean, obviously it is having a, a fairly sizable impact um, I think the problem that we're having right now in doing an evaluation of it, it, it it's just a, the nature of the beast in this case, is because it's built to affect queries that Google may not have seen before, which makes a lot of sense. Like, of course, there's all these queries they've never seen 
and they don't know how to treat yet. They don't know the context of what you're talking about. So, of course, they need to try and build some AI to extrapolate a little more information than, than you're giving them. Um, what we end up with is a scenario where we're trying to evaluate something after the fact, right? Like with most algorithmic shifts or, or most algorithmic functions, we get the opportunity to look at what my rankings were now, see yeah. an update, look at what my rankings were after, and extrapolate from that what must have changed. In this case, we don't get that <laughs> because it's affecting things we've never seen before. Um, so we're having to try and reverse engineer something without the pre-impact data, um, which, of course, becomes extremely difficult. And that's where people like Eric and, and David's analysis, deep diving into the white papers and the patents, um, really can shed some light on what's actually happening um, and what they're trying to accomplish. And, and we don't get that before and after, hey, here's a specific metric but we get a, a better feel for what they're trying to accomplish, which at the end of the day, let's face facts, is actually in anything to do with search more important because what you need to know is what they're trying to accomplish because then you can build your system for it um, rather than trying to, you know, you remember, you know, you, you've been around long enough. Remember the chasing of algorithms and stuff back in the, the early 2000s and, and late 90s. Um, you know, that, that doesn't work long term. It worked really, really great for a while. It doesn't work long term, though, and it may it even still works in a specific instance. Algorithm changed, and now you're now you're hooped. Um, or I just reading about, and it was interesting timing because it was the same day that David Harry's article got published over on the SEM Post on Rank Brain. Um, anyway, the, the patent is evaluating semantic interpretations of the search query. The interesting thing about this patent, well, there's two neat things about this patent that relate directly to, to Rank Brain. One, I've actually, it's been a long time since I've seen a Google patent clear this fast. It was filed in March of last year. It's already cleared this year. Um, but what it covers is basically a, a system and a method. Every patent starts with systems and methods, if anybody's wondering or has read them. Um, but for actually figuring out how to tell um, what sort of query something may be or, or what something may be related to. Um, and so uh, to give a, an example there, what they had listed in uh, as their sample query in there that somebody might drop into a search is, how long is Harry Potter? Okay, good Good, good query. I could see somebody doing that. Now, what are you talking about? Are you talking about a book? <laughs> are you talking about Don't a movie? Which book? Which movie? Um, and, you know, is it a video game? Are you actually just using the wrong word? Are you talking about how tall is Harry Potter? Right? Like all of these different interpretations that Google now needs to try and figure out what you might mean. Um, and the patent really gets into that. Um, in, in an evaluation of how do they tell. And basically, and this I didn't know, um, is that it creates a series of entities for um, the specific, you know, Harry Potter. So, okay, an entity of each book, an entity of each movie, an entity of... And then they've actually predefined canonical search queries. So there's a few ways they can do it, but one of them is to predefine. So assuming that that entity is there, now actually taking that one step further and going, okay, here's our pre-filled canonical queries that can attach to each of these entities. So something like um, how long or how many pages is, and then when you find a book entity, slam that into each one, run a query for that. You know, how long, you know, how long does it take as the playthrough of for the video game queries, slap all those ones in, pull all that data together. Right now they're doing it based on, or at least a patent, I'm not saying, I shouldn't say they're doing it, the patent outlines that they would now find the results of all of those different queries, 
compare those in a similarity context to the first query, so your initial query, compare which one is most likely from that. So the one that is more similar to your initial query is probably the result set that is most similar and is more likely to appear. It's called a confidence score in the patent. So if it's very, very similar, then they would show you, oh, okay, the ones for this specific goblet of fire. Um, is, is the most similar to the initial set. That's probably the one you're looking for and then come to a conclusion. Really, really interesting stuff there. Uh, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll be doing a, a full write-up uh, as soon as the show's done on it on our blog, but um, it, it's a really, really interesting idea for how they can pull this data in. Now, my initial thought when I was reading it was that's a lot of processing power. Like how many different books, video games, like think of the number of queries, right? For every query now they've got you know, dozens, if not hundreds of additional queries, mm-hmm. um, but they've actually built into their systems as well to just save those queries now. Um, something as, as an aside that's actually sort of tacked into that query, or it's sorry, tacked into that patent, um, that's really, really neat, both for rank brain and for uh, just general SEO. Now, Google's come out and said multiple times, you've heard it, I've heard it, um, you know, that they don't use click data specifically mm. to you know, improve your rankings or, or not, it, okay, we can believe them or we can not. There's a lot of debate about that. Sure. Um, but one of the things they cover in the patent that I found really, really interesting, there's a big exclamation mark by it <laughs> my, when I was reading it, is to not actually just look at, in, in these instances where they're looking at semantics, to not actually look at it and go, hey, we're going to reward the site with the highest clicks but they're actually going to determine whether that semantic interpretation worked. So the idea in that case is not, hey, your specific click is actually going to value your site. So not taking it into account in weighing you specifically, but in actually weighing whether their interpretation of the semantics was right. So a click in 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 the case of this patent won't affect your rankings, it'll actually affect their entire interpretation of what semantic interpretation works. So you won't benefit from it, but if you're not being clicked and nobody around you is being clicked, the entire result set may change because their idea of the semantics, they'll understand it's completely wrong and completely change the entire top 10. So your rankings are going to fluctuate in there, sure, and you might interpret that as a click as click data, but the fact is it's not actually impacting your site. It's just impacting the entire way the, the top 10 and, and their understanding of what that query means has changed. So now, it's that, a that, really, that, really neat thing. To be clear, you're reading, you're reading from a patent that uh, Google has applied for um, and, and, and presumably have gotten uh, approval on, but it yep. doesn't mean that this is, this is natural. It doesn't mean that this is part of the algorithm today. No, indeed. And that's always important when you're reading white papers, patents, anything is to go. All they're doing is they're saying, hey, this is something that we're following. I like to look at patents, too, and go, sometimes, I mean, this one just makes sense that that it's being incorporated in some degree, but a lot of patents, and, and, you know, it could be this one included, sometimes they're just coming up with them so somebody else can't. Absolutely. (laughs) Although, I mean, I, I, just, I just want to suggest if, if listeners to the show have gotten anything out of the last eight years of radio we've been doing together, Dave, it's, it's you got to look at where the ball is going to be going, not necessarily where the ball is today. So we, we like to look at where Google, you know, where we imagine Google is imagining themselves two or three years from now. 
And that seems to be the the best predictive SEO, um, you know, SEO advice out there is try to try to figure out where what what's Google's intentions in doing anything, and that's probably going to, if you know, if you can think about that and 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 try to incorporate that into the SEO work you do, you're probably going to be more successful. Well, indeed. Anytime you're reading, I mean, be it a patent, be it just a statement from John, right? Like whatever it may be. What you really need to be asking, and I, I'm, I'm telling our listeners, not you, Jim, I know you know this, and most of our listeners may as well, um, is that you need to look at, does it make sense? Right? Does, and there may be elements, this patent, any patent, anything John might say, or whoever, does it actually make sense? Um, from, a, from a global standpoint, does this, would this produce a better set of results? Like when I look at this click data and going, okay, they're trying to understand semantics. I think of rank brain, brand new query, but it's going to be a big query, right? It's like something news related. Does it make sense that they would immediately be extrapolating information and going, we're needing to decide it's this entity they're referring to. Hey, the click through rate is really, really low okay, that's probably not it, so we should adjust how we're understanding what entity it's referring to here. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay, now, is there anything I can do about it? No, if I'm talking about the book Goblet of Fire and that's not the one that they're talking about, nothing I can do about that, really. Maybe I need to be looking at other things in in ways of making my content more robust to cover other Harry Potter books, use the example out of their patent. I don't know why they referred to Harry Potter, but there we go. Um, You know, but... At the at the grand scheme, just extrapolating those parts that make sense, discarding the parts that don't, either from a technological or, or just a pure SEO standpoint, or in the context of my website, doesn't make sense for, for my website, so I'm not going to do it. Um, you know, pulling those bits of data out of it and, and proceeding forward, and even if this patent's irrelevant, doesn't matter. I, I've still extrapolated some new ideas from it in, in ways to enhance my site and, and a new understanding. And eventually, some aspects of, of different patents, this one, other ones, uh, are going to kick in and, and become important for, for my site health. Now, what we're talking about again, we're talking about you know artificial intelligence and machine learning. And this reminds me of um, you know two stories that we're going to have to cover after the break. We have to go to break in a few seconds here, but. This reminds me of two stories that we're going to want to cover after the break. Um, one of them was Microsoft's um, continuing failed experiment with uh, Tay AI, the uh, its teenage chatbot that keeps getting shelved. Um, and the other is uh, Google AI versus the great and ancient game of Go. But... Um, and again, I, I want to talk about both of those. Just talk about how machine learning can be, you know, very optimistic. It can also go real south real fast. But before we can, we've got to take a break here on Webcology. So on behalf of Dave Davies from Beatsock Internet Marketing, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. You're listening to Webcology on the 31st of March, 2016. Stick around. We're back after these messages. Conversion Conference. 
the can't-miss CRO event of 2016. Join over 750 people from dozens of countries gathering in Las Vegas, May 18th and 19th, for the biggest industry-wide conversion event ever. Still nothing? Still nothing, Jim? Jim? Hello? Jimmy, can you hear anything? By the second. Jimmy, can you hear anything? I'm waiting to. I'm sure he knows that. I'm sure. So don't miss it. Go to conversionconference.com for details right now. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS. Text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm. Sounds expensive. Actually, I sign us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome back to WebMasterRadio.fm. It's the 31st of March, 2016. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, Dave Davies from Moonsock Internet Marketing. We're talking a whole bunch of stuff today, but the, I mean, the one thing that has just captured the uh, SEO's SEO imagination over the last couple of weeks is rank brain um, Google's uh, artificial intelligence achievement program that is uh, scanning the uh, scanning the incoming queries, trying to parse out what uh, audio queries are going to a lot of discussion on rank brain and you know a lot of discussion on on uh, uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning in the search and greater tech communities, and uh, I mean, it's a pretty serious thing, eh, David? Because this, uh, this this changes the way we do things. Uh, it will make our world so much smarter in so many ways, but skill sets from great swaths of human beings in other ways. Um, so you know, it's a boon and a bust 
both at the same time. And uh, we got to have a little bit of fun with this. You, 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 you heard of what happened with... Uh, you heard what happened with uh, Microsoft's... Um, <laughs> I, uh, machine bot or a uh, speech bot, eh? Oh, I, I certainly did. And, uh, I, I mean, Google's done their share. I'm sure you remember the, the image tagging fiasco when they were trying to do that. Um, automated. I'm not gonna, even going to get into the details, but people can look it up if they want to. Um, but, uh, yeah. I do. I remember it. But uh, here's the difference, okay? Now, that is just, just for the listeners, a little bit of background. Um, last week, Microsoft released a chat, an AI machine learning chatbot named Tay over, over on Twitter. Tay was supposed to, you know, be a teenage girl who was sort of learning as she went along. Well, within two or three hours, she went from Taybot to, well, Trumpbot, basically. Um, she was turned into a racist, Nazi-loving pig within a couple of hours of being exposed to the, the mean old world of the Internet. Microsoft pulled the plug on her, but for no apparent reason, released her again two days ago. Same result. They pulled the plug on her again. <laughs> in Google's case, at least, Dave, in Google's case, this was internal stuff, right? They they had Google's um, machine learning, it's, its positronic brain, come up with uh, images. It's, it's, they described these as machine dreams, and they were terrifying. You know, they gave it. They gave it a couple uh, keyword queries and said, "Okay, come up with an image for this." And yeah, they were spooky, but that was internal. That wasn't out there on the open web. You know, they weren't experimenting live time. The Google engineers were going, "Well, let's see what happens when we do this." They saw it. They were horrified. They released it to the world. Microsoft's engineers, on the other hand, just pushed a button and sort of like set and forget, right? <laughs> Not really what uh, necessarily would be uh, would be the best thing. Um, yeah, here I'm just forwarding you. Um, the one I'm referring to, I, I don't know if you, you remember this. I'll, I'll just yeah. get into it. Yeah, you know where I'm going. Okay, so I'm not even going to bother getting into that because it's offensive. But <laughs> um, You know what? I'll contextualize it for the audience. Um, Google's artificial intelligence had a hard time telling the difference between persons of color, African Americans, and gorillas. In fact, it, it labeled a pair of African-American, a picture of two African-Americans as gorillas. Horrible mistake. Google pulled it back immediately, um, did, did what it could to, you know, fix, fix its uh, AI. But this did happen. Like, this, this, it, it did happen. It did. Um, and, yeah, it caused quite a, rightfully so. <laughs> quite a backlash uh, against Google on that one. And these are the sorts of problems that you hit with AI, um, is that you can't, you know, we're speaking of Trump bots. Um, you know, these are the sorts of problems that you hit with AI, is that they can't actually extrapolate logic. At this point, they, they aren't us. <laughs> so they can't actually um, properly tag um, and, and understand the, the context of, of things as well as maybe they should. Now, they'll get better, um, but we can expect a lot more of this sort of stuff to, uh, to be coming up in, in the next few years um, as AI gets trained. Um, and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, fingers crossed, um, they'll be able to avoid um, these sort of major, major issues. I mean, if I got a search result, it might not be quite as perfect as I'd like it. It didn't quite pick that right Harry Potter book for me. Yeah, okay, that's fine. 
<laughs> but um, yeah, when you're being when you when you're offending huge swaths of people, you know maybe maybe you should have done a little testing on that first. Okay, now that's that's how AI can go bad. At the same time, you know, I'm just let's look at the other side of it. There's so much optimistic stuff happening in AI. Do you remember? Uh, do you remember Dennis Mortensen? I do not. He was um, he was uh, one of the guys who was originally in the in the SEO world, originally in the search world. He uh, around two thousand three, two thousand and four, he moved out to the PPC world, and then in two thousand and eight, he moved into artificial intelligence, and now runs uh, one of the great emerging artificial intelligence houses in New York City. Um, in fact, Dennis is very likely to. Uh, Dennis is in the running for a person who's most likely to release um, machine learning applications to the general public. Um, he, Dennis may well be the dude who does that first. So that there's there's one hopeful thing. Another hopeful thing, um, as reported uh, just earlier today over at VentureBeat. A team from China has created its own artificial intelligence program, and it wants to challenge Google's AlphaGo, which was the AI program that beat um, a world-class Go master. Now, have you ever played the game of Go? Not in years, but I know the one you're talking about. Okay, it is an absurdly complex game. Um, probably the most complex human game ever invented. More, far more complex than chess. And chess is pretty damn complex, but Go is even more so. And uh, I guess um, the, the great litmus test on artificial intelligence years ago was, can it beat a human at chess? Well, IBM's Deep Blue beat Kasparov. And that was, that was about 15 years ago. Now the great challenge is can you can you win an even more complicated game go which is again probably the most complicated board game ever so we've got to a point where a machine can learn such complex thought and assumption you know um, and and you know be able to predict what another human is going to do what do you think is going to happen when two machines go at it against each other that's going to be phenomenal yeah, one would think it'll be a fast game. You know, anybody who's seen uh, war games, like anybody who's seen that, you can tear through tic-tac-toe uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and play infinite games very, very quickly. Uh, well, I guess not infinite. Infinite would take infinite time. But uh, many, millions of games very, very quickly. Um, I think it is going to be interesting. I think that the thing about chess, like in, in the initial tests of chess are, Basically, all the computer needed to do was continuously play the game through through all of its permutations, right? Like, there's only so many different things that you can do, um, and, and there's a lot of controls to it with each of the pieces, so the computer would just play its way through and see every possibility and pick the one with the least risk, right? Fairly straightforward. Um, that's not even AI to me, anyway. I'm not even viewing that so much as AI. It's not really grasping and understanding. It's just playing a, a system through and then making the, the conclusion based on the one with the highest odds of success. Um, whereas, yeah, with Go, it is a much more complex game where you actually have to think on your way through and be able to react really quickly in a far less predictable environment. So 
um, it's it's very interesting. It's it's deceptive. Like you you look at Go, it's it's deceptive. It, it it seems like it should be easy, but it's it's really really not to become that 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 good. And it takes really um, until very recently, it took human <laughs> instincts to to actually pull it off. But um, yeah, as computers are getting better at thinking, it's not just playing it through anymore. It's actually having to understand what it's doing um, and understand what the other character might be doing. Now. Dave, do you think that, you know, sooner than later, do you think artificial intelligence will know the difference between a unicorn and a big steaming pile of money? <laughs> <laughs> As you can tell, I'm preparing a segue here. <laughs> uh-huh. Let's go. You know what they found in Siberia last week? I do. That oh, was pretty I'm- awesome, but I'll let you tell our, our listeners. I, I swear to goodness, this really happened. I saw it on the internet, so you can look it up. <laughs> it must be true. It must be true. But honestly, no, they they, they found DNA from a uh, creature that looked a little bit more like a rhinoceros than a horse. But it had one horn in the middle of its head. And um, for all intents and purposes, friends, that's your unicorn. And they found DNA of a, of a, of a, of a unicorn in, um, in Siberia. And they're thinking of recreating the unicorn from the DNA they found in Siberia. And I'm telling you, that's it seems like a huge roundabout waste of time when you could just drive down the I-5 into Silicon Valley and find a whole bunch of useless unicorns. <laughs> okay, well played. But as, as it turns out, those unicorns may be, may be as rare as the real, formerly mythical, but now real unicorn. <laughs> um there's an interesting story in uh, that actually, Dave, you sent over from Bloomberg today, or sorry, from Vanity Fair. Um, Google, a couple of years ago, Google invested in a technology called Nest. Nest is uh, a home services technology. It allows you to, to uh, turn your uh, uh, heater or air conditioner on and off with your cell phone, check your locks, um, check security in your home, all that sort of stuff, okay? Problem is, um, well, it's not quite as successful as they wanted it to be. And at the same time, okay, Nest isn't as successful as they want it to be. It's not making the sales. It's not um, becoming the standard of technology that Google wanted it to be. At the same time, most of the... Uh, talent at Nest, they've been there for three years now, and their, their options are about to vest, which means half of them are going to leave the company the day their options vest, the day, the day that they can, you know, trade in on the options they receive. So Google's in a weird position. It's got this, this home services technology that was, that was the cat breakfast just a couple of years ago. But it's not making its sales numbers, and it's about to lose half of its talent. Google is the bleeding edge of this phenomenon happening all across the valley, where there was just whack loads of money being thrown in the last few years when, you know, money was basically free. Uh, and with interest rates, money has been basically free. So the, the venture capitalists, the VCs, were just tossing money at any, any old idea that's out there. Mm-hmm. Now they're not. In the last quarter... The uh, venture capital firms seem to have locked their purses. 
leaving a bunch of companies in the valley and in, in other, you know, silicone uh, in other silicone alleys across North America. And uh, well, sort of like the coyote in the Roadrunner film before it noticed that it was sitting on thin air. That's where that's where a lot of our unicorns are today, including the biggie nest. Well, and this, this one is an interesting one to me, and I think this is one of the problems that, when I, when I was reading the story, one of the problems that I think Google's facing in becoming Alphabet um, right. is each area needs to be profitable in and of its own accord now, right? Like, and, and, and it makes sense. I understand in a company that big it does, and investors are looking, going, we were expecting it to hit about $400 million. It only came in at three forty. Um, that's short of what we wanted, and we've invested in this technology, and, and that's a huge problem. Um, you know, I know, like we, we've chatted about it with say Yahoo dissolving, right? Like here's all these patents and you know, Google grabbed a lot of patents when they were purchasing Nest and one has to wonder, and they may be doing this internally, I don't know, but, but a side benefit of this is all of those patents are applicable to anything they want. Now, how many of these, we're, we're talking about automation of different devices from, you know, remotely and stuff. How many of these patents have applied to things like their cars and, and other areas of Google? Is there a proper transfer um, of, of sort of economics around, like when they're looking at Nest as its property, as its $340 million. Now, when Google's using these patents to apply in their, I'll go to their car, right, like the, the driverless cars, are they actually purchasing from one hand? You know, does the right hand know what the left hand's doing? Are they taking it from the right hand on the cars and paying off the left hand on the nest to sort of balance things out and, and create that fair value across the board for their investors? I don't know that. Well, um, I got to tell you, man, before, before we jump to, before you jump to it on a tangent, I just want to want to follow this one. I, I really hope that they are. And I, and somebody at Google is keeping track of this because right now I, I, I get the feeling that a lot of us, in and outside of the tech world are depending on companies like Google to make those moonshots, to, to take on those like completely impossible or improbable projects that will make life on Earth so much better for all of us. Mm-hmm. Someone's got to do it. Google's well equipped to do, and, and, and appears willing to do it, but if they're going to become bean counters at the micro level, they'll never be able to do it. Right. And you know what, that is the problem with exactly what I was talking about, too, is, you know, if they are having to do that, then that, that creates another sort of segment of problem for them internally. How do you value this? And, you know, now you have to have a whole team of people trying to figure out how to pass around. I think that's one of the drawbacks that they're facing now that they are, you know, Google is, is not Google. Google is just part of the search branch of, of a larger entity where this, you know, the overhead is, is kicking in and they're needing to do that to make sure that they're being fair to their investors. You know, who knows how that's going to play out. I think they're, they may be looking back going, oh, it was easier when we were all just one thing and we could do what we wanted. <laughs> but, but now they can't. Yep. Um, and well, I guess weird thing. Like I would love to just from a, from the idea where your, your brain is given this incredible playground to work in, and you know, you're, you're sort of like released, and then and they're like, "Go to it, kid! Invent something amazing!" Would love to work at Google, but at the same time, you get the sense that Google's in this weird transition phase now, where they're where they're you know, leaving their teenage years and becoming adults and starting to make those hard decisions. <laughs> Sorry, that twenty uh, percent time to do your own thing. We didn't mean do your own thing. We meant do our thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I do. And I think every company faces that, right? You go in, I'm sure yours did, mine has, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, no, we, we just want to do the, the best thing and, and have lots of fun and, and be creative. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, that's, that's great. <laughs> you got to be, so be so careful how you phrase stuff. I once said to an employee, I don't, I, I, I don't care where you are as long as the job gets done. Well, that was a mistake, wasn't it? I should have been a bit clearer. <laughs> you know, because then I, and then I get a call, whoa, I'm on Vancouver Island. Well, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> I meant in my time zone, like in the office or at your house. Yes. You've got to be really clear about this stuff. Um, okay, we're going to take a break in a second. Um, before we do, one, one, last, one, la- one last thought before we take a break on Remember Flickr? <laughs> yes, I do. The the, the photo uh, the, that was probably the original photo sharing application that was out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Katrina Fake and Stuart Butterfield were the inventors of uh, Twitter. They were Victoria, British Columbia residents when they invented Twitter. They were um, patrons of, of my cyber cafe way back in the day, like twenty years ago. And then they sold it to Yahoo and became multimillionaires. Uh, Stuart went off and created, uh, what is it? It's the Slack. Stuart went off and created Slack after that. Well, Yahoo, uh, Yahoo bought Flickr. And now any of you out there, if you have uh, you know, a couple million hanging around, you can buy it off Yahoo. Because Yahoo is selling all of its stuff, including Flickr. It's a fire sale in Sunnyvale. <laughs> the biggest garage sale you'll ever see. Now, interesting trivia point for fans of the Trailer Park Boys. That also happens in a place called Sunnyvale. Draw your own conclusions. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, for, for people who aren't fans of the Trailer Park Boys, you won't get that. If you are, that was actually kind of funny. Um <laughs> Friends, we got to take a break here on Webcology. It's quarter to the hour. It's the 31st of March, 2016. We're going to come back and round out the hour talking a little bit more about search and about Google and a whole bunch of stuff happening in the tech world. But on behalf of Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, this is Jim Hedge from Digital Always Media. You're listening to Webcology on webmasterradio.fm, and we're back after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. The Web Marketing Association presents Green Moments in Website History. 1994. Trey G browses with a high-speed 56K modem. 1997. Donnie W discovers scrolling. 2006. Smudges the cat becomes an animated GIF. What is your great moment in website history? The Web Marketing Association is now accepting entries for the International Web Award Competition. Web Marketing Award winners receive an image plaque, certificate of achievement, higher visibility for your company, valuable feedback from our expert judges, and links to your site from the highly ranked Web Award site. Visit webaward.org to nominate your company, site, or organization. Deadline for entries is May 31st, 2016. Go to webaward.org and sign up today. Is buying something that is made in the U.S 
USA important to you? How do you know that it really is made in the USA? Certified Inc. is the only supply chain audit company on the planet which qualifies country of origin labeling. If it's important to you as a consumer to know where the products you buy and use in your own home come from, then it's also important for your customers. Visit us at madeinusa.net and find out more. Go to madeinusa.net because it's that important. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PVC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. This is Mark 16. And, you know, we've been talking about AI and machine learning and all these newfangled ways of doing stuff for the entire show. And, you know, I think it's when uh, looking to look at the future, I think it's time we go back to some old technology. You know, we've, we've even talked about driverless cars. What we haven't talked about is walking. Yep, the oldest technology. Oldest technology of all. And I love this. I saw this. Uh, Dave, you passed this one on to me earlier, but I, I saw this yesterday. The story of the uh, of how far Google will go to to map the world. Like, wow. There's this fellow in... Uh, well, the, the one story we know of is this, uh, this, this uh, Thai triathlete named... Hanupong Langsua Ad. I've got his last name wrong there, but it's Hanupong um, Langsuangard. Anyway, this guy has walked the length of Thailand with a Google Street View camera mounted on his back to try to get um, some of the, well, I guess, off road. Thailand experiences and the images he's captured are stunning uh, breathtaking um, friends if you don't want to travel to, if you've ever thought of traveling to Thailand but haven't made your mind up go look up what this guy's capturing he's walked across tea plantations terraced farms mountains beaches all with this massive backpack with you know the, the big Google globe that they put on the top of their cars. Stunning. But the lengths that they'll go to just to bring this to the public is phenomenal. Yeah, it's it's outstanding, isn't it? I mean, uh, endurance on this guy. Glad they picked a triathlete on that one. And, uh, yeah, no, that's... It, it really is a, totally behind you on that one. It's, it's really some stunning imagery and really quite an, an amazing accomplishment. Um, to get that done and, and the mapping that he's he's in the process of doing, it's uh, it, it's pretty pretty amazing. Wouldn't that be a hell of a summer job? Oh yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, no, that's that'd be great. I mean, uh, who who wouldn't like it? But at the same time, I mean, do you want to walk that far with oh, I don't know, forty pounds sitting on your back? Maybe not. <laughs> Probably pays better than the armed forces do, and they ask you to do the same thing. Touche. Um, now. This might sound really frivolous to people, you know, when you just think of it on the surface. You got some dude walking around Thailand with a 40-pound backpack capturing images of everything, capturing 360-degree images of everything that he might see. But mapping in a roboticized world, in a world of, with artificial intelligence and machine language, mapping is so critically important. We'll use Amazon as an example. You know, Amazon's um, distribution centers, you, you, we've, we've all heard the stories of the people who, who work in the distribution centers, how every movement they do is tracked, how um, every second of their time is tracked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people think, oh, wow, Jeff Bezos must be such a horrible boss. Look what he does to his employees. But... The real reason Amazon is doing this isn't so that they can maximize every drop of sweat from their employees. Because Amazon is moving towards roboticization of their distribution centers. Right. Monetizing every drop of sweat is just a pleasant byproduct. (laughs) Well, every drop of sweat in Amazon, in the context of Amazon, every drop of sweat is a data point. This is how long it takes and how much effort it takes a human to do X, Y, and Z. Um, When trying to get a robot to do those same functions, you need to know exactly what the human did to do those, to perform those tasks. Um, That's probably the real reason that Jeff Bezos, who from all accounts is actually a decent guy, treats his employees as if they're machines because one day in the very near future, they will be. <laughs> so, making them create their own obsolescence. Well, that's that's a sad reality of moving into a roboticized world. But yes, virtually, you're right. But that's why, I mean, that's why these kind of mapping projects for Google are so incredibly important. It's not just so that they can have something neater and cooler than Bing has, which they do, but it's not just so they can do that. Um, there's, a, there's a serious um, future thought behind this, these kinds of projects. I just, I just find that fascinating. It is. Um, now, on a different, you know what, I need to make sure we're, we're covering this. Um, I think about, we talked about it last, we got the uh, Google... Oracle, $9.3 billion. Uh, anyway, for, for our listeners who don't know, Oracle is suing Google for $9.3 billion for damages because Google um, <laughs> had been using Java. Um, Google has now officially responded. Um, that was just earlier today. Um, to basically go, nine point three billion is mad, and I didn't know all the details till I till I read the article over on Znet. Uh, that's Z-D-N-E-T dot com for for people I pronounce it Z or Znet or I don't know. Um, anyway, um, I, I didn't know the the full context of of what this claim was, but basically, um, Oracle is stating that Google is would would not have sold anything if it wasn't for java because that's how they got developers so 
um, Oracle is suing Google for damages, and the, the damages only ended up being like for 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 using their their stuff, um, only ended up being like a little over two hundred million or something. Like, not that that's chump change, but you know, that's not nine point three billion. Um, but they they they're also going in, going, and everything you sold is only because we're here. <laughs> so so they're actually making claim on everything Google sold um, through the Play Store. Um, for Android because the Android wouldn't have, have functioned and, and developers wouldn't have built for it if it wasn't for Java. So uh, I, I got I to gotta side with Google on this one and go, you know what, there, there may be some damages here for infringing, <laughs> but, but you cannot claim everything that Google has ever made, especially when there are past um, court cases that deemed it as fair use. Yeah. Um, so that becomes a, a different issue altogether. So that's, it'll be interesting to hear how that plays out, but, uh, Enjoy the sports, because for those of us in the nerd community, this is, is pretty much as close as it gets to sports. Well, you know, my, my first blush at this was uh, $9.3 billion, like, hey, Oracle, maybe you want to buy a clue or something? But then it occurred to me, that's what that extra $8.8 is all about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is, this is uh, well, it, I don't, my, my gut tells me this is approaching patent trolling. Yeah, I, I, I think so too. I think some damages are owing for sure because they did use it, but um, you know we're we're not talking that. Now I know we only got a couple minutes left. Something I have to touch on before we go. Um, you you remember uh, Globe Runner, Bill Hartzer, you know friend oh. of the show and, and just a downright good guy. You remember last year, April Fools. Um, he had announced that, and he did it a couple days ahead of time, which, which caused a lot of confusion. The Matt Cutts was joining his team. Um, well, he has promised something even better this year. It's not coming out until tomorrow. So for any of you following Bill Hartzer on Twitter or Facebook or really anywhere else, press releases, um, watch for something tomorrow and take it with a, I don't even know if you can say take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> Just understand that whatever it is, is total BS, but it's probably going to be awesome. Watch Global Runner have like one of the biggest corporate announcements in their in their <laughs> entire friggin' like history, to, and it just happens to be tomorrow, right? <laughs> yeah. that, would be, that, would be, that would be amazing. Are you going to be doing something like that, playing a April Fool's joke? You know what, I, I'm pondering it. Um, probably, I, I may have to work instead, being the first. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Just happens to fall on a work day, eh? I know. I know. Who worth? I'm not playing an April Fool's joke. Anything you hear about me or by me tomorrow is probably real. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but in my defense, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> awesome. Okay, we're pretty we're pretty much at time here on uh, on Webcology here on WebmasterRadio.fm. Um, we're going to be back next week. Look, there's a bunch of stories we didn't get to cover today, stuff that we really wanted to talk about. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, uh, Google's recommendation on individual URLs for each language. Um, I want to talk a little bit about AMP, and I really wanted to talk about Jay-Z thinking he got ripped off on Tidal. Um, you know that music streaming service that Jay-Z and uh, Kanye West bought and uh, promoted this time last year? Yep. Apparently, it's not making any money. <laughs> Wonder, eh? Funny thing, Matt. Actually, in this case, it is. Um, but it's only because those two those two guys are freaking arrogant. They just, you know, 
sorry, it's not it's not by using any entrepreneur lose money, but um, in this case, it kind of is. Okay, we're probably being played out and we don't even know it. So, on behalf of Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. You've been listening to Webcology on webmasterradio.fm. It's the uh, 31st of March, 2016. We'll talk to you next week. Great content after the news. Stick around the network. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.